Perfect Balance Healthcare presents Lick, Stick, and More with your host, Dr. Nandita Kuti. Join me to explore the minds of thought leaders as they share golden nuggets on the impact of faith integration in practice, professional development tips, and innovative solutions to bring you beyond ordinary healthcare. Welcome in for another episode with me, your host, Dr. Nandita Kuti. I have with me today the Dr. Frank Nice. He has practiced as a consultant, lecturer, and author on medications and breastfeeding for over 40 years. He holds a bachelor's degree in pharmacy, a master's degree in pharmacy administration, and master's and doctoral degrees in public administration. Dr. Nice holds certification in public health pharmacy and is registered as a pharmacist in Pennsylvania, Maine, Arizona, and where he currently resides in Maryland. He practiced at the NIH for 30 years and also as a project manager at the FDA. At the NIH, he served for 20 years as assistant program director for the clinical neurosciences program. And after 30 years of service as a commissioned officer and pharmacist with the United States Public Health Service, he retired with distinguished service. Over three dozen peer-reviewed articles on the use of prescription medications, over-the-counter products, and herbals during breastfeeding have been written by Dr. Nice. In addition, he authored articles and book chapters on the use of power, epilepsy, and work characteristics of healthcare professionals. Thank you, Dr. Nice, for joining me today for a conversation about pharmacy practice and who really benefits from the work that we do. Well, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So I, you shared with me when we first met an article that was published in Christianity and Pharmacy, a journal uh, that discussed when we practice as pharmacists, who's benefiting from it, our internal motives with regard to why we practice and who we serve and how we do that. And you mentioned that there's two different kinds of models, generally speaking, in which we can kind of identify how we're practicing, right? What were those two different models, if you could walk Okay. Okay. One is what I kind of call the I, me, and I didn't put in you because, you know, other people call us you and, uh, but it's, it's like the individual model. It's the me model. It's, it's what I do. And in that model in practicing pharmacy, uh, we kind of, I think most of us look to see uh, in a profession, where can we make the most money? And, uh, and that's a driving factor. And pharmacy is, uh, a profession that will pay us probably more than the great majority of people that uh, earn a living in our country. And not only that, you get an added benefit of that uh, practicing that model is that you get a lot of pride. And that pride comes from people will look up to you and uh, trust you and honor you and respect you. Uh, I know you and I probably most pharmacists, when you're talking to someone else and you tell them you're a pharmacist, wow, they, they, they really look at you and admire you and uh, respect you for the profession that you're practicing. And the, the problem with that model is that uh, pharmacy is a great profession to practice. And I think one of the best to practice, but at the same time, uh, if any pharmacist denies this, I, I, I would be really surprised, but it definitely is one of the most stressful, frustrating and demanding practices or professions that you'll ever you know, will practice. And the thing that happens is, and I've seen it, is that you just get beat down mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I've worked with pharmacists that 
I've seen throw pencils and pens at the patients. They get so upset with them. I actually had one pharmacist. He was on the phone with a doctor and he just ripped the phone off the wall. And, you know, <laughs> you know, we talk about burnout. That's the extreme. Hey, when you burnout. when you said you worked retail, you worked retail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was real retail. Yeah, you know, in retail too, uh, you're out there and you you have to like go to the bathroom and you you just you know you can't go because the patient wants you to go, and then finally you're just overwhelmed. You can't think of anything else, and you run back there, and all of a sudden, uh, the patients are screaming, "Where's the pharmacist?" And I was yeah. a kid about, kid about I would uh, take a hot meal in and eat it at cold at the end of the day driving home, or I'd take a cold meal in and eat it hot driving yeah. home. Yeah, so, you know, recently I had a patient call and ask me, so, um, you know, I want to make sure I come when you're available. When do you take your break? And I had to pause <laughs> and think for a second because for most of my life, I would have to, I would just laugh, you know. <laughs> yeah. But finally, I'm working in a place where that's actually a legitimate question. <laughs> right. right. So, uh, you know, and, and, I think most uh, ph most pharmacists do get burned out one way or the other in, in different ways. And if it's uh, just basically sucking it up and saying, I'm going to put up with this every day, or you start feeling sorry for yourself, or there's all kinds of ways of, of getting burned out in pharmacy. And uh, that's a, a usual outcome. So uh, actually, uh, I never realized it at the time, uh, but uh, I was actually listening. I like to listen to John Michael Talbot. He's a Christian uh, recording artist. He's he's kind of getting into the monastery now. He's got this big white beard and all that. But his songs were great. And uh, and one of the songs he sang was uh, uh, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and the wealth of His righteousness, and all the things of the world shall be added unto you." And uh, he would talk about Solomon and different things and all that. That God gives us all these things. It was just a, it is and it's still a beautiful song. And uh, I realized, uh, yeah, it, the, the, the thing is, I always thought I would practice as a pharmacist, earn all this money, live a good life. And then when I retire, I give back to God what the, he had given me. But I, he had to wait till I retired and all that. But I found out uh, that wasn't going to do it. So uh, 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 seek ye first the kingdom of God, it gave me that second model is uh, the patient first model. And it's based on the God first model. And in that model, like I said, you will you will still earn a lot of money as a pharmacist. You earn as much as if uh, you weren't following the first model. But in the end, you're probably going to end up with a lot less money. And uh, the reason you're going to end up with this because you're going to give a lot of away to causes and the people that really need your help. And that's what's happened with me in Haiti uh, over the years. And I, I don't say this out of pride or anything, but I've given probably $700,000 of my earnings to the people of Haiti. You know what? I get to the end of each day and I'm no poorer than I would have been if I hadn't done that. Amen. And the other thing about it is then the pay, you look up to the patients not the patients look up to you and it gives you this sense of humility versus a sense of pride. And it's a whole different feeling. And then you are actually, God will uplift you emotionally, physically, spiritually, and mentally. And you know what, instead of burning out, you get set on fire. And it's like, and he, he, entered, he got me going to Haiti. And when I went, start going to Haiti, it changed my whole practice of pharmacy, my outlook. And 
everything. And that with that fire burning for Haiti and wanting to help the people of Haiti, it didn't matter who, what patients were screaming at me, what third party plan didn't go through any of that, because I was going to do all I could to work and help the patient rather than just thinking about myself and woe is me. And, and it, it just changes your whole outlook on everything. Absolutely. Well, let's look, let's take a little bit of a closer look at what allowed you to go from the point of just practicing in a traditional role of pharmacy to really picking up your cross and doing a little bit more and what that looked like, what that process looked like. Because for the people who are uh, listening and watching on the interwebs, I want them to see that there's a, a process that had to happen for you to be able to do that. And one of the things that I noticed while I was reading your article was, <clears throat> well, of course, I have to commend you for actually including the scripture that you just mentioned from Matthew 633. Six, right. You, you actually placed that King James version of the scripture in your article to solidify how you came up with that model and you gave God credit for that. So it wasn't something you came up with on your own as a brilliant idea, but this is you following God's structure for you know, how we should be practicing and, exactly. and what that looked like in your life. And then giving your testimonial of what you did with that to apply it to your life. Um, but I think there was a couple of key things that had to have happened to, for that to occur <laughs> for you to get there. Right. So one was your training uh, for those who don't know, what is a DPA doctorate of public administration you received from the university of Southern California you mentioned was a part of your um, master's program for public administration. So what, what did that training look like? I had to uh, get my master's in public administration as part of that in the beginning, then take more courses to get my doctorate in public administration. It was actually, although it's, a, it's not a PhD, it is set up exactly like a PhD in the doctor of public administration at USC. You do a dissertation, you do all the research, you report the findings, you defend your dissertation and you pass and you actually get your doctorate. So it is both, it's kind of like pharmacy in a way, it's both a hard science and a social science. So it, that's what's great about pharmacy too. So uh, public administration was a nice way to that. And there's actually one or two schools that do combine the two degrees, the MPA and uh, a pharmacy degree, because they know that those two areas go oh, like hand in hand with each other. You can't be a pharmacist, I think, and not in some way pub, you know, practice public administration or public uh, health. Right. And then now what's a CPHP? CPHP is Certification in Public Health Pharmacy. And it was a certification offered Wow, probably about well over two decades ago, and we couldn't get any certification in the United States. So a group of us pharmacists worked through uh, the British Medical Society to uh, get them to uh, offer this certification. And we had to meet all the criteria for training and, and experience and to get that certification. So I think there's only uh, maybe several dozens of us in the whole country as practicing pharmacists who have certification in public health pharmacy. And I'm proud of it and very glad that, that we were able to do that. As because be. because that, yeah. that's what pharmacists are called to do. You don't only practice at the micro level. And I was saying with that second model, you not only help an individual that you're helping, but you actually help society and making society better. 
Right. So as you were training on the medical side of things, you were also very active in your church training there as well, right? And it was through the church that you were able to see opportunities to get involved in the community on a more global level to make an impact in your own way, right? And letting God use you to do that. But had it not been for the fellowship aspect of your life, walking alongside others in the body, you wouldn't have been able to develop your spiritual skills, your your spiritual gift either. That's exactly right. And it, it, it's, 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 it's always a small world. Uh, again, our pastor today was talking about the, the call for fellowship mm-hmm. and that we, uh, and God, you know, God made us in his image and God was practicing a relationship and fellowship before he ever created us. And that was between the fa- among the father, the son and the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had that relationship and that need for relationship where they support and they are one and he made us in our, his image. So we have that same need. So you're exactly correct. And there were people there that are already driven by the Holy spirit to help the people of Haiti. And a group of five of us got together and, and went down and that became the beginning of our medical mission. Right. That had never existed before. It wasn't just the church showing you, you know, opportunities where you can make an impact, but you actually created something through the work of the Holy Spirit to make an impact. You created something. So it wasn't enough for you to get trained and just to start working in a model that somebody else had had created and doing their own thing, but you actually started something of your own to live out your walk to serving others honorably Mm -hmm. through the practice of pharmacy. So share with us a little bit about what that work in Haiti looked like. I love the way that you you kind of let it unwind here in the article of the emotions um, that were felt as you were helping these people and what systems and structures they lacked that you were able to come in and physically put into place to not just dispense the word as so many Christians do, but actually minister the word by walking alongside your brethren your brothers and sisters globally. You know, that's actually true. When I go down there, most people thought I was actually a priest because I would, you know, minister to them and talk to them. And, uh, and we talk mm-hmm. about God and, and we talk about needs and hope and faith and trust in Jesus. And as, as part of the, uh, the whole medical process, some people say medical missionaries aren't real missionaries. They're just there providing medis- medical care, but you're not you're actually ministering the whole time you're there. So the first time we went down, uh, I took some drugs down. I thought I'd walk into this kind of nice pharmacy and just kind of fill in the supply. Wait, what drugs did you take down there? Nothing. Uh, well, we, I took probably about a uh, hundred different drugs. There's back those days, maybe before you were born, we actually, the drug manufacturers gave samples out. And the pharmacy would always get samples and have tons of them. And oh, yeah. They, no, that doesn't happen anymore. No, that doesn't <laughs> happen anymore. I walked in the pharmacy, the clinic building, and it, the rain, there was water dripping down. There was part of the roof was falling down and it was dark and dank. And that's not even in the pharmacy yet. Those were like the uh, waiting rooms and all. And so I finally worked my way into the pharmacy and that opened a window to get some light in, no electricity, uh, no running water, no toilets, anything. And there's uh, one nurse, student nurse working in there. And I look at her and she looks at me 
and I look at the shelves and I saw maybe two or three bottles of drugs on all the shelves. Mm. So, you know, I kind of spread the, all the drugs out like in one layer to cover all the shelves. And I found out that that's the way the pharmacy was most of the time. And oh, wait, let's, let's back this up a second. Cause I got, I got questions. Okay. You know, I think about, uh, you know, at my pharmacy, the pounds and pounds and pounds of drug that we end up having to dispose of Correct. because it's expired. Correct. Where, where are the ethics with regard to us knowing that a lot of these drugs still have effective potential, right? We know right. that as pharmacists and being able to even for a short date, you know, redistribute them to people who are in need. Do you see that being something that is like we can legally do or where... Where do oh. you were know, you were using drug samples that we don't have access to, right? right. Like now these are the doctors that are getting the drug samples from the reps, um, and you know we we might be able to work with reps to get samples, but obviously they're not for resale or redistribution yeah. through the pharmacy. So how are we? How can we do something like this? Okay, you opened up a can of worms, and it, <laughs> it is, that is that is an awesome question, and uh, and I'm going to answer that question because I've had personal experience with this. Okay, um, please do. People get drugs and there's like a one-year dating at the most on the drugs and then you throw them out. And then that really works for big farmer because you have to go back and get a new supply. Yeah. And so when drugs expire, you have to replace them. And the FDA only requires like uh, a two years or so, uh, you know, expiration date on drugs. They have data showing, and when you take these drugs and you reevaluate them, most of them have uh, uh, expiration dates up to 10 years out. Right. Okay. So in the beginning, we knew that, and there were studies about it. Uh, even if a drug lasts 10%, maybe, of its potency, patients are are, are in a way, almost emaciated people. And that's, you, you work on body weight and everything, even if you lose 10% potency, which probably most of them even have that much loss, their, their milligram per kilogram uh, dose was still well within the limits. And even within the limits that the FDA have, you know, like 10% give or take of the uh, potency. So we would take them down because having uh, those drugs is so much better than having no drug at all to help the people. And they actually help the people. But then uh, the FDA started getting on and a big pharma did. And the World Health Organization came out and said, uh, no more expirated, you know, drugs that were expired could be taken into any third world country. <laughs> now, now you sound like my mother when we try to, to get fruit from back home from Trinidad. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. And, you know, <laughs> we have to pickle it, you know, uh -huh. to where we can bring it legally uh, because, you know, you can't just, the Department of Agriculture is going to be all over you for just trying to get some good food. <laughs> <the> right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Now we pledge an oath to do no harm. So what you're saying is, you know, we're not just oh. taking you know, expired drugs that are potentially toxic to these patients over there, you know, in underserved areas and potentially putting them in harm's way. But we're yeah. taking drugs as pharmacists that we know are still, you know, fully capable of being effective and that the benefit definitely outweighs any potential risk associated with redistributing these for the benefit of people who don't have anything. 
That's exactly right. We we will never do anything to harm them, uh, you know. And uh, again, that's for my own glory. What what is that for? What's practical for pharmacists today if they're looking to do something like this in partnership with their churches is oftentimes we as pharmacists can see a drug on the shelf that's been sitting there that we ordered for a patient way back when, and it's not ex- not anywhere near expiration yet. But we know that we're never going to be able to dispense out the rest of that partial bottle. Yeah. And so these are opportunities where even with drugs that are within expiry, we can be redistributing them to our churches to get out to patients in some of these areas that could be using it. Like maybe even if it was just, hey, it's completely legal to to give, you know, OTCs and vitamins, you know, and supplements and things like sure. that. It's not, it's not prescription. You know, we're not thinking, how can we do things legally? But like, how can we support people with basic, basic needs in the, in, in our realm? So. I, and, I, and I think hmm. like a, a pharmacist within CVS, would have a better chance uh, as me as a pharmacist outside of CVS, they don't want to talk to me. Um, if I'm Bill Gates or something saying, you know, I want this, you know, or some big organization, they will give me anything I want. But I have a small non-profit, uh, you know, uh, uh, organization and the foundation, and we're just too small to, to have any say in, in trying to improve these areas. Dr. Nice, I wanted to ask you from your experience in Haiti, what could you see with with regard to differences in their relationship with God and the gratitude that they find despite not having what the world says are important or priorities? You had mentioned a phrase that they would say. Yeah, that's, that? they say bon bon, which means God is good. Uh, they're the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and I think at times maybe the poorest country in the world. And you know, no matter what they get hit with, they have nowhere else to turn but to God. And they really know Jesus is their Lord and Savior, and that's why they say bon bon. Amen. I got to say, some of my best friends are Haitian. I love oh. the relationships that I've grown with my Haitian brothers and sisters. It's just been so much love, just overabundance in love and oh. genuine care in places that I felt like couldn't exist. And as a West Indian myself, I gotta, I can arguably say that we're probably the happiest people on earth because we see what life is really about because we don't need the things that a lot of other um, people in what would be considered more developed countries feel like they need to be happy. Right. You know? And so just in fellowshipping with each other, you know, in their spare time and their families being big on family and all of these different. Oh, yes. They have it, to. You They'll can be, be there feeling like you got more and you were more spiritually fed than you. You went there to be, you know. Right. But I think what was also important for you to be able to establish yourself as effectively as you did to the point where you were being published in a journal was you started sharing what you were doing, not for self-glorification purposes, but to glorify God was showing how he used you to make an impact on the world and to inspire others, especially in the pharmacy space, to do the same thing. And that's really why I have you here on the show is to put God on display and to say, look at how he's used Dr. Knife to make an impact on the communities and just to kind of think about the opportunities that you have in your own life to do something similar that you're passionate about in a way that you seem that you find in collaboration with churches in your area, with the church that you go to, or even just on your own, you know, maybe it's something that God reveals to you as an opportunity to actually act on that call 
and um, and not just just create it, but then to share that testimony and to witness to others. I think that's very important too, is to then share the gospel. You know, we have an obligation, as you had mentioned previously, that this is not just something that priests and pastors have an obligation to do, but we as disciples have an obligation to share with each other as members of the body of the universal body in our testimony of how he's working through us so that we might stir up one another and provide that hope and that motivation um, for us to be encouraged to do his work and to advance his kingdom. So um, you did that a bit uh, by not just participating in publishing of articles or by, um, you know, just talking to others about what the work that you were doing, but you also published a book. We haven't even gotten into some of the cool stuff you're doing in the realm of breastfeeding. (laughs) You know, I will, I will put this disclaimer out there that, of course, there are women that breastfeeding is not an option for them. Of course. They're not able to, for whatever reason. Um, But for those who do, I felt like with my first child, I didn't receive any support in that. There were no guides that were given to me in the hospital or by my practitioner to kind of um, help me along with learning about it or how to do it effectively or things um, that I can do to help increase my milk supply at the time. Um, and as a busy, you know, studying, working pharma mom, you know, of course, it's convenient to turn to formula and, and you end up feeling defeated, you know, and there's this stigma that goes along with not being able to breastfeed your child. So there are things that we can do as pharmacists to help educate our patients that we know are, you know, pregnant and about to be at that point in their life where they may need that support. Dr. Nice, if you could please just share with us some of the resources that pharmacists can equip their pharmacies with both product and uh, literature to really help patients that come along their pharmacy that they're assuming that they got the information they needed from the hospital and the OB and the parentologist that I know from experience they didn't get and that we as pharmacists have an opportunity to help them along in this process. What are some of the things that you've put out there um, that pharmacists can equip their shelves with to really help these patients at the consultation counter? Okay, cool. I have uh, three publications on medication use. Uh, The first one is non-prescription drugs for the breastfeeding mother. And it it covers almost basically all the OTCs, uh, herbal uh, uh, products that are out there, complementary medicines, vitamins, minerals, and it gives all kinds of information on compatibility with breastfeeding. And they, they got really set up in tables by in categories where it's very easy for the mom or the pharmacist to use to look it up and say, yes, this drug is or OTC product or whatever is compatible with breastfeeding. So that one is my biggest seller. That's a very popular one because it's so practical to use. And I think every pharmacist should have a copy of it. And they would be such a greater uh, resource for moms that are breastfeeding. The next one is recreational drugs and drugs used to treat addicted mothers. Believe it or not, 30 to 40% of breastfeeding mothers and pregnant women are using drugs of abuse. And marijuana use can be up around 40% among breastfeeding women and pregnant women. And they're not good drugs for moms to be using. So we talk about strategies and ways to work with moms that are using drugs of abuse or have to take drugs to treat. And you can come up with the compatible treatments and you can tell them about the concerns and dangers of using these types of drugs when they're breastfeeding or pregnant. So it covers both pregnancy and breastfeeding. And the the last one is kind of cool because it covers all the herbals. A lot of breastfeeding women that have insufficient milk supply turn to herbals to try to increase their milk supply because there's not much out there prescription wise. 
So I, my wife and I actually wrote the book called the Galacticog Recipe Book. I but, love that. That yeah. is exactly what I was looking for. I wish I had found you a couple of years ago. And the recipes, I mean, I can eat this stuff. Doesn't mean I can produce milk, but, <laughs> but it's a great, it, there's really healthy recipes in there. And like we cover all, all the different herbs again, and, right. and, you know, what are good for it and all. Oh, so so cool. uh, that's the Galactagog recipe. You'd say uh, Galactagog and most pharmacists, I think, or other people are going to say, does that have to do with outer space? No, Galactagog <laughs> is an herb that helps increase and maintain milk supply. I got to say, though, interviewing people like you makes it feel like I've been interviewing people from DC and Marvel. Yeah. And then uh, two other books uh, that I've written or published uh, on my Haiti memoirs of my uh, I've been to Haiti 24 times. It's called Haiti Beyond Belief. It, it is. Uh, it just tells you so much about what it's like to live in Haiti what it's like to go there and work with the people and tells you so much about uh, how awesome the Haitian people are and really are. how terribly they're treated and, and what they go through and how they live down there. Whatever I, I make from the sale of that book, everything goes to help the people in Haiti. So that's Haiti Beyond Belief. And we actually charge $10.04 for that book because that's when the hurricane uh, hit uh, several years ago on October 4th in our region down there. We had just built a clinic uh, at our school orphanage that we have there that I founded and the hurricane came and destroyed the whole clinic. We were able to rebuild that and we use like proceeds from the book to do that. And then the other book is kind of about a life story of mine and I come from kind of from the Christian aspect. And it really tells a story of what led me to go to Haiti and what I went through and what uh, was happening with my family at that time. And it's called Why Did God Seat Me Next to the Toilet? Mm -hmm. And we, I talk about my mom and dad. My mom had epilepsy her whole life and what she suffered and went through her whole life. And God sat a job next to the dunghill. And, and part of my life, I felt he, had, he definitely sat my mom next to the toilet of life. And at the time, I felt that's where I was, too. And we talk about why he did that and what the outcome of it was. Okay, they can go to my website, www.drniceproducts.com. That's Dr. Nice Products, all one word, .com. And there will, my books are on there. I have all kinds of free downloadable information for pharmacists, lactation consultants, moms, about how you can work with uh, moms when they're taking drugs. And 99.9% .9 of the time, the mom can take a drug and do it. There's like stepwise approaches, things to talk about with moms, and it's all available just for easy download. Dr. Nice, I have to commend you for your work, um, not just in breastfeeding, but um, with reaching out to others globally and being an inspiration and a light to us as Christians to show us an example of how we can be more like Christ um, as you have been an, an awesome image bearer yourself. So we thank you and we salute you. Oh, you're welcome. This is uh, this is what is so great <laughs> about God, you know, and uh, just the, the time to spend with you. And I'll just finish with this. Uh, even before you were created by him and I was created by him, it was always his plan for this day at this time for you and I to fellowship together. And, and what an awesome God that is. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lickstick and More. 
Subscribe and follow us on YouTube and all the social media sites at Perfect Balance Healthcare, or visit us anytime at pbh.life.